This is Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Red Pub Pod. A podcast. Red Pub Pod. From Red Hot Publications. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, all you folks out there in podcast land. This is Robert Knipe coming to you live on Red Pub Pod, along with Patty Thompson, our acquisitions editor, and the big poobah, who will probably not be speaking much this evening because he's got a little bit of a of a horse in his throat, Richard Eller. We're here today with a new acquisition for Red Hawk Publications, poet Tony Robles. I did pronounce it correctly, didn't I? Oh uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tony is a um, an inhabitant of Hendersonville, North Carolina, who was born in San Francisco. Uh, was named the Carl Sandburg Writer in Residence by the friend of Carl Sandburg in Flat Rock, North Carolina in 2020. He is the author of poetry and short story collections, including Cool, Don't Live Here No More, A Letter to San Francisco, and Fingerprints of a Hunger Strike, both of those published by Ethereal Spear. But his newest book, uh, Thrift Store Metamorphosis, is published by us, Red Hawk Publications. Yay! Uh, Tony's also been yeah. shortlist nominated for Poet Laureate of San Francisco in 2017 and is a two-time Pushcart Prize nominee. He just received his MFA in creative writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts here in 2023. Congratulations, Tony, on, on getting that education. That's a- Hey, thank you. And uh, you had mentioned something about a poobah. Uh, yeah, I, I too want to be a poobah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Grand, grand poobah. Grand poobah. That means, that means that you wear, you wear the big hat with the water buffalo horns on it being the grand I wa- poobah. I watched plenty of Flintstones, uh, Flintstones, uh, uh, episodes as a kid. I remember they, Fred and Barney, they had that. That's yeah. it. And Fred always wanted to be the grand poobah of the Royal oh, Order yeah. of Water Buffaloes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he sure did. For those of you out there, uh, stop the podcast right now. Go to your Google and Google the Flintstones. And when you learn about what that is, then hit pa- hit unpause and come back. And then you'll realize how old we are. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, pop culture, sometimes <laughs> some of it never gets old. And the Flintstones is one of the things that doesn't get old. So, Tony, uh, tell us uh, about this new book. Tell us uh, where it came from, what you're thinking here. It's called Thrift Store Metamorphosis. We all know what a thrift store is, but for those who don't understand what you've done with it here, go ahead and tell us what's going on. Well, first of all, thank you for having me uh, on um, on your podcast. It's, uh, it's really wonderful. Um, you know, Thrift Store Metamorphosis, you know, it came about a couple of ways, a convergence of different circumstances. I was in uh, school at Vermont College of Fine Arts, as you uh, have, have mentioned, uh, and there was also the pandemic. And I needed a, a job that provided flexible hours. So I found a job working along the Asheville Highway at a thrift store that, uh, you know, it's a uh, thrift store that everybody knows that has thrift stores from here all across the country. Um, So I I ended up working at the thrift store. And what I found in working as a cashier and a a donation specialist was that the medium of exchange, while it, while it, you know, while it's money, that really the medium of exchange that I got out of it 
in just observation in my observations of what was going on in the thrift store was more uh, human and more spiritual. And what I saw was a, a cross section of the Hendersonville community. What I saw was uh, not so much what people were buying from the thrift store, but rather what what they brought to the thrift store, what they left behind in their gestures, their movements, their voices. A lot of the uh, un a lot of the unsaid things that that transpire under that roof, you know, because it is kind of a world of its own, the thrift store. And um, what I found was just a cross-section of a community, really, that in the short five years that I've been here has kind of transformed. There are, you know, a lot of different types of people, a lot of different people from different backgrounds, different parts of the country that were coming into the thrift store. And, um, you know, what I picked up on really was uh, what they what they brought rather than what they left with. And I do touch on what they left, <laughs> what they left with and uh, what, uh, what they may have donated, you know, to the thrift store. But I saw it as a, a world that was quite profound. And uh, that's what I tapped into. It really is quite profound. As, as, as I read this book in its, in its infancy, when we first got together and you first sent us uh, the first draft of it, I noticed how heavily it leans into this idea of redemption. And it's not just the redemption of human beings, but the redemptions of the things that human beings own and the things that human beings consider to be important. Um, Right out of the gate, the second, I think it's the second or third poem in the book called Thrift Store Phone Call. Yes. Just (laughs) flattened me when, you know, the the narrator of the poem takes a rotary dial phone that had been donated, and it rings. And it's the narrator's grandfather uh, (laughs) saying to him... Well, you know, we did get uh, a burgundy rotary phone that was uh, donated, and it was uh, the exact same phone of my grandfather and my grandmother. And uh, I, I still remember their number. It was Skyline 13046, which was uh, a very special phone number uh, in my life. And when I saw that phone, it just brought, it brought, back, it brought back a lot of memories. I may have, you know, traveled 3,000 miles from San Francisco to the Blue Ridge Mountains in Hendersonville. But a lot of things from my past, it seemed, found me. And that was one of them. It found me so that you can't really you can't really get away. I mean, those things come back and and somehow somehow there's a, there's a reconciliation. I mean, there were things that happened, things that perhaps were not so uh, so pleasant that were associated with with different items. You know, for instance, uh, a derby jacket that uh, we used to wear in San Francisco. I came across one of those in, in the thrift store, and I and I remember you know, not feeling worthy enough to, uh, to, to wear one because, you know, the kids, the, you know, bad kids, tough kids used to wear those. And I was never that. And I, I remember getting picked on by kids that, uh, a little older than me that wore those jackets. And, uh, when, when that jacket came to the thrift store, I actually put it on and it fit me, you know, and I felt like I had come full circle that I had, I kind of earned the right to, uh, I, f- I felt like I earned the right to wear it. And that, in that moment that I put it on, it was kind of like, hey, everything's cool, man. You know, you're here now, but, you know, 
we, you know, the folks in San Francisco ain't forgot about you. We love you, you know, and, and, and it's, everything's okay, you know. So that's the way I kind of looked at it. And see what a marvelous metaphor that is, because when you take that jacket off, you realize that you don't need that symbol anymore. And that's the marvelous metaphor in this book of the things yeah. that people own and the um, worth that people assign to things. Uh, every poem in here has something to do with. And I love the idea that you you had a job description, a a a. Um, um, uh, receiving specialist? Uh, yeah, what was it? A specialist of... Um, you were the receiver? Or? I was, uh, let's see, a donation, a donation, donation specialist. A donation specialist, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Because would you, yeah. w- when you did that, did you decide what went out on the floor? Did you decide the price of it? Uh, uh, no, actually we had, uh, I had a supervisor that would do that, and I was responsible for you know, putting them on, on the appropriate shelves. But there were, there were times where, you know, things would come in, uh, you know, like a, uh, a portrait of a, an elderly couple. We would have pictures from photo albums that, that came through that, you know, you, you didn't know who those, you didn't know who they, who they were, you know. And I, I always felt that, you know, there was a kind of a disembodiment there. You know how we're kind of a throwaway society. And I thought, wow, you know, you know, what's the story behind uh, these people in, in these pictures and not just, you know, new pictures, the, you know, photos that were quite old in some cases, but, um, and then you had people that were donating things that they didn't want to part with, you know, perhaps things that belonged to the grandparents or their parents that they just couldn't, um, they just couldn't keep. So, I always kind of handled those things with uh, with a level of respect, you know, that um, there was a some kind of a spirit that remained in the patina that, you know, to me, I, I think uh, there was a responsibility and there was a privilege in being able to um, to create something beautiful and to create something that resembled art that would honor would honor that and in, in, in a way and in kind of in, in a, in a indirect way, honoring in the process, honoring the community at large, you know, if you don't mind, I just wanted to jump in and thank you because as Richard and Robert know about two years ago, I lost my stepmom and she lived literally less than a mile from, we won't name the store, but we'll call it bad. Won't. And just do the opposite. And you know the name <laughs> yeah. of the store I'm talking about. Yeah. Live less yeah. than a mile. And I was by myself cleaning out a three-bedroom, two-bathroom in two weeks. And I was going there a minimum of three to four times a day. And as I was giving, you know, determining what gets tossed, what gets given away to family, what goes to bad won't. Um, and I solemnly brought them there, Tony. You know, because I realized this is this is my my stepmom, my dad. This is thirty, forty, fifty years of memories that I I don't have them, but I want someone else to have these three crock pots. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like she had so many of everything, but I brought it solemnly there, and I'm I'm kind of honored to feel that at least with you, you know, you understood what we were going as going through as we donated it to the organization. Oh, this is this is yeah. exactly what this book does. This book personifies and exemplifies that. Yeah. On page 19, there's a poem called Donation, and about halfway down, it says, a man pulls up to the donation area, opens the door to his truck, 
a white man, mid-60s, a black woman, a bit younger, wearing a New York Yankees cap. I'd like to donate something, he says. It is an old dresser with drawers, very old. It belonged to my grandma, the man says. But we're moving, and we don't have room for it. We pick up the dresser, place it on the concrete. Thank you, I say. Oh, this goes with it, the man says, lifting a large oval mirror. He sits it next to the dresser, and again, I thank him, and they drive off, leaving me and Grandma. I attach the mirror to the dresser and look at its oval shape, and I somehow see the shape of an eye, the shape of the sun above hitting flower, giving rise to her voice. Be careful with me, she says. My legs aren't what they used to be. I touch her. You're fine, I say, running my fingers with the grain. I take a tag, a rag, and wipe away the dust, and she tells me a little bit about her life, a life lived against the grain. I lift her gently and take her to the sales floor where she will sit and wait. Tony, that's just yeah. great stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when that donation came through. And, you, you know, I, I worked uh, with seniors and people with disabilities in San Francisco. I, I was a housing advocate. And uh, my uncle, who was also a poet, devoted his life to that as well. So, you know, seeing him and the way he dealt with elders, um, you know, was, was a real example to me. And, 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 and when, when that uh, gentleman brought that table and the, you know, and the mirror, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like I was encountering a, an elder, you know, and we you know, at least in, in our culture and Filipino culture. And, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up in the Philippines, you know, Filipino-American culture. Um, you know, that's just something that, you know, we we hold very sacred, you know. And I, I wanted to, um, you know, I, I wanted to recognize the sacredness in, in, in that as well. Are there any poems you would like to read to us? And by the way, Robert, well done for reading Donation. That oh, was nice. It's, it's just... His stuff just kicks behind. It's so it's so wonderfully written. It just slides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just easy to you read. Know, if, if, if you can leave me, let me just reach over. The books are in a box. <laughs> in a box like <laughs> let me just let me just uh, take your no, time. Yeah. Take your time. Yeah, let me just go ahead and reach over real. While he, while he does that, I want to remind you that if you go to redhawkpublications.com right now, you will find Thrift Store Metamorphosis. And if you use the code, I don't remember what the right code now. is. You know what? <laughs> you can use COVID-19. COVID-19. Yeah, that's working for 25% off. get you 25% off. off and free shipping right now. So Free shipping? Yeah, free Ooh. shipping. And as expensive as shipping is, that's like an extra 25% right there. So um, go to redhawkpublications.com and look over our wares and especially pay attention to our second Filipino-American author besides Fieli Matthias. Uh, Tony Robus, Thrift Store Metamorphosis. And uh, I think, Tony, you found something to read? I sure did. And, and again, I, I second you when you, when you uh, refer to Fieli. I mean, that, uh, he's a beautiful brother, you know, and that, that book he has, Ribi Didu Dada, I got to say, that, that bounces and, 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 and dances and pops right off the page. You know, it's beautiful, beautiful uh, work. Um, this is a poem called Assumptions. Oh, that's a the great man, one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just reading that one. I yeah. Was, yeah I, 
so this is called the assumptions. The man walked into the thrift store the other day. His countenance, I immediately discounted. To my perception, he was likely one of those ignorant folks, the kind that would have a Confederate flag license plate. It was something in his demeanor that soured me. He came to the register where I work as a cashier. He put down, he put down a pair of socks and a package of underwear. He reached into his wallet, hands trembling, and I remembered working at an insurance company years ago. A policyholder had sent in a handwritten letter. The writing, a frenzy of shakes and quivers, words struggling to fit within the confines of a lined sheet of paper. Where'd this guy learn to write? I laughed. I found out later that the man had Parkinson's disease. I felt bad for making fun of him. And the man in front of me takes money from his wallet with a quivering hand. I place his underwear and socks in a bag, hand him his change. Thank you kindly, he says, leaving me somewhat shaken. There are very few writers. Now, there's a lot of writers, but there are not a lot of writers that will turn the mirror on themselves to actually showcase their own abilities to misunderstand. Uh, this poem stands out to me because of the, the assumptions, and we all do that. We assume we look at people and we, we draw conclusions based on how somebody looks, and I think it's marvelous that you turn the, 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 the focus on yourself. That Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing when, when you can turn the mirror, you know, on yourself and, and kind of examine, you know, the things that you bring, some of the thoughts and notions that you have. I remember Wanda Coleman, the great uh, L.A. Uh, poet, who would talk about, uh, I think what she said was, uh, you know, when you turn those eyes on yourself, um, you know, to look at yourself the way other people look at you and then turn those same eyes on yourself and look at yourself and what you get out of that. What is it that you see? I think she says to be for, uh, what was it? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. It was something like that, but it was something pretty, pretty profound. And I admire uh, Wanda Coleman a lot to the extent where I can't really read her that much because she's so good that I, I'm unable to write myself for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, you get Tolstoy syndrome. Because when we read yeah. Tolstoy, we all of a sudden go, well, there's no use in me writing because Tolstoy is already the most wonderful thing. So, Ex yeah, yeah. Exa exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, could, I, could I ask you to indulge me by going over to page 64 and reading for us sure. the poem called The Woman Who Looked Like Nina Simone? Hmm. You know, it's kind of funny that you would ask about page 64 because that happens to be the year that I was born. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. This is another one of my uh, favorite poems in the book, too. It just happens to be well, on page 64. Say, you know, well, I always, you know, it's a source of pride for me being born in 64 because that's when, uh, that's when Ali, you know, won the title. And, uh, you know, he, we always thought of Ali or Cassius Clay at that point, but uh, Ali, I always thought as the uh, the people's champ. They always called him the people's champ, and I, I always uh, 
wanted to be a people's poet because I'm very much uh, inspired by people. And my, my uncle, my late uncle, was very much a, a people's poet as well. But, um, yes, the woman who looked like Nina Simone. You caught my eye, even with your mask, a pandemic badge of the mouth, yet your eyes spoke as you moved about the store. Black woman under the glare of fluorescent light, waiting in your own music, your own rhythm, while the canned music played over the thrift store speakers. And Nina's voice comes through suddenly, singing, birds flying high, you know how I feel, breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel, it's a new day. And the thrift store is not far from a place called Tryon, birthplace of Nina Simone. And the store is where people try on this, try on that. But Nina never fit in Tryon, or maybe Tryon never fit her. The woman walks past the fitting room into another light, befitting a queen, moving as such, waiting deep in night stars, past the cutting glare of fluorescent light. And I did see a woman who, who looked like Nina Simone. And when she walked in, I just said, oh, man, this, this can't be happening. <laughs> it can't be wow. happening. Yeah. Because uh, out, of, out of the music that's being played in the store, suddenly you're getting Nina Simone mm-hmm. coming from the music, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. There, there were interesting playlists that were coming, uh, coming through uh, that uh, that in-store, uh, you know, music, you know, music machine that they would uh, they would have, you know, and, and sometimes there were, there would be a song that uh, that meant something. You know, there was one. I think Janis Joplin take a little another little piece of my heart, and uh, you know that reminded me of some. Sometimes there were there were things in the thrift store that I wanted that held some kind of meaning for me and then somebody would buy them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, but I, you know, I always listened to the music too, because, you know, um, you know, there was just, you know, certain songs that, uh, that would come through that would kind of remind me of, uh, of different things, you know? So it was kind of, uh, part of the whole, right. The, the soundtrack of it. And then you had the, um, you know, the, the human, commerce that was that was going on and um, I, I just felt fortunate to be able to um, you know to pick up on it and um, and just kind of take it in and then in, in a lot of ways you know seeing the people in the store and communicating with them as a cashier you know it was kind of a collaborative effort because had I not been in that position you know the poems wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have come. So I felt like uh, you know it was um, it was kind of a collaboration. You know, I, I will a, a, a surreptitious collaboration. You know, not like you know, we're sitting down and saying, "Hey, you know, you're really inspiring me to write this." <laughs> you know, it's transactional. And I, what you said is something similar that we've heard other poets say on the podcast. I think about Scott Owens when he mentions a good poet's going to be present 
They're going to be there, and they're going to see and take it all in. And, you know, we recently, Red Hawk Publications recently had a book fair September 30th. And, Tony, we were blessed to have you come. Um, uh, Many of our our, our poets and authors were there. And sure enough, Scott Owens is writing a poem during the book fair. Because that's what he does. That's what a poet mm-hmm. does. They're present. They're looking at the transactional. You're not just selling your book, talking to people, but you're getting from them. They're getting from you. And a good poet's going to observe. So that observation is everything. Um, yes. I, I have a question for you about the reception of this book. Because you know, we happen to know while you were living in the Hendersonville area, um, you still have very close contacts and relations on the coast, out uh, in the Bay Area, um, has the reception t- to this poetry collection been different or a little bit the same between the folks who were buying it in North Carolina, say, versus those, those that are buying it in California? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, the people in California, because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, I've been kind of known as a California or a San Francisco writer. What I'm really proud of is the fact that I've been able to <clears> – <throat> go to another setting, you know, and live in another place and write about that, that place, you know, and to be kind of one with that place. So I'm really, I'm really proud of that. The reception of it, you know, they're two different places, you know, you got the North Carolina mountains here. I think Ron Rash was saying that, you know, when you're in the mountains, you're just, you're reminded about how small you, you are. Right. Uh, and that, you know, you, you feel, enveloped in safety in the mountains, but sometimes you might feel restricted as well, you know, given, you know, your position in relation to these, these looming, looming mountains. But in San Francisco, you you have the hills. So I'm, I'm, I, I kind of live between two worlds. I have one foot here in the mountain here, and I have one foot in the San Francisco, the rolling hills of, of, of San Francisco. Um, <clears throat> The, the reception here has been good. You know, we had a, a, a book launch um, at the Buzz Cafe, which is a non-alcoholic cafe, and uh, it, 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 was, it was really good. Um, you know, the people in California have been very, uh, you know, they've been very supportive. Um, you know, they, they're just intrigued by, you know, thrift store, right? You know, think, well, who would write about poem, poetry about, you know, working in a in a thrift store. Um, but you know, just the two places are very, you know, they're different because I think, you know, in, at least here and I, and mind you, I haven't been here that long and, you know, I am an outsider, right? So, you know, just the, the vibe and the temperament, it's, it's, it's different here because in some ways, you know, you don't know really, you know, there's the politeness here, right? you get the, the politeness and the civility in, in that kind of veneer, right? But at the same time, you sometimes don't really know where you stand. You know? You don't know quite where you... You don't really know because you have the politeness and you don't really know. But we do know that the mountains are there and the mountains stand, Right? And you, you, you can be in the shadows of the mountains and you can have a foot in the mountains. You could be in different places in that mountain, right? You could be on top but of the mountain. You could be, yeah, you know. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting conversation because, you know, you have the politeness down here, which is good. 
but there's also a thin line between you know being nice and being kind, and those are not necessarily uh, those are not necessarily the same thing. So I'm still really kind of getting to know where I'm at right now. You know, I've only been here five years, but in all honesty, you know, when I got here, uh, you know, having come from San Francisco, where you know the native-born San Franciscans are on the bottom of the, the barrel that we're the furniture that came with the place and that we have an influx of people that move there constantly. And we're kind of like the people that, you know, that need to be moved out because somebody else with a more important job needs a place to stay. Right. So when I moved here, I didn't want to of those neighborhoods. Yeah. And you know, when I moved here, I didn't want to come with that attitude. Mm. You know, I wanted to really give something. So, um, you know, I was volunteering. I volunteered with, um, you know, the friends of the library, and I delivered food for Meals on Wheels. You know, I was doing stuff, right? And, you know, with this book, I just felt like, um, you know, it was um, also a, a way that I could respect uh, what was already here. You know, what, you know, the people that were already here, the people that had uh, deep roots. You know, I reached out to the uh, black community, like, you know, there's a lady down here that does a lot of community work. Her name is Crystal Cauley. She's with the uh, Henderson County. This is the Black History Collective of Henderson County. So reached out to her. And um, so I really wanted to come with some respect. So what I'm hoping this book can be is just kind of like a document, a testament to what this community was at a certain time. Like, you know, we have people from Micronesia that live here. It's a Micronesian community. I don't know if anybody's writing about them. I have some poems about them in my, in my work. And, and they're interesting because, you know, these are island people now living in the mountains. You know, it just makes you think, well, how is that impacting them? You know, how, how does it impact the way they see, um, see their lives, you know? I just believe that this is probably one of the most important poetry books that we've published. And the reason being is because, first of all, it's very accessible because of your prose poetry. Uh, But secondly, uh, it it is an exemplar of uh, Virginia Woolf's moments of being. Uh, When you mentioned Scott Owens about, you know, we take it all in, a good poet pays attention to those moments. This This book exemplifies what Woolf was talking about, about paying attention to the now, not thinking about the future, not thinking about the past, but being present. And there's a lot of being present in this book. And when you combine this idea of being present with your prose way of writing, do you do you find that that's the most comfortable uh, way of writing poetry that you enjoy doing? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... You know, I, I get immersed because I, I kind of live in metaphors and I kind of see metaphors all over the place. So they have to kind of come out in 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 that form for me as, uh, you know, in, in terms of just, you know, being being an artist. And a lot of the poems that I've written, you know, a lot of them have to do with, uh, you know, when I'm at work and uh, when I'm at, at my job. And, you know, the deal that I've kind of struck is that, okay, you know, I have a job and I'm going to have to, to work and I'm going to have to invest a certain amount of hours and a certain amount of time, but uh, I need to get something out of this deal. You know, I need to get something beyond money. So that, fee, you know, if, if those things feed my art, then we're even, we're even, you know. That's the way, that, that's the deal that I've brokered um, because, you know, and and the thing is, there's never any, 
any shortage of uh, of inspiration. You know, there's always um, there's always something, right? You know, I'm working in a warehouse right now, and there's you know there's a lot of inspiration that comes there. So, um, so yeah, you know, you know, observing and seeing the metaphors and seeing the absurdities and seeing the beauty, you know, and, and, and trying to, um, to reconcile that and, and bring it to some kind of, um, you know, some kind of light that See, people the, can relate to. This idea of self-awareness, I think there needs to be a class taught to give this skill to people. Uh, you mentioned a while ago about, you know, when you came to North Carolina, you came with this self-awareness of, you know, lots of folks who will immigrate into another state or another town or even another country will expect that state, town, or country to change to fit their vision of that place, whereas it is our responsibility to bend a little or bend a lot. So we have to have the self-awareness. When you came, you began began volunteering. You began instituting yourself into the the neighborhood, doing things. I, I think that I think that's what all humans need to have more of: is that self-awareness and that 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 ability to self-criticize and see ourselves. Uh, and a book like this does that. Um, each one of these poems, each one of these little transactions, each one of these examinations that you've made of these clients and of these customers and of these items, it just it just pours self-awareness onto the reader. And it's very easy to read. It's not deep, deep metaphor, but the metaphors are beautiful. Um, so I think I think we need to have more work from Tony Robles on yeah. <laughs> the where, warehouse metamorphosis. Is that in the future? <laughs> hey, you know, maybe 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 where the where where the warehouse things are. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It, this all makes me realize why you are the people's poet. You know what I mean? Um, you're taking transaction, transactional relationships for the for the good and for the betterment of people. We've talked about island life. You know, when you, you you've got family that's in Hawaii, and it's like you know that you don't want to impose your culture or your strong ways on other people. When you go to different places, you and I know that you have to kind of sit back, relax, listen. Yeah. Uh, you blend in. You don't want to come off as tantara, and you know what that means, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so I look forward to you coming to Hickory. I'm hoping and praying you'll get a slot maybe at Tasteful Beans at Scott, uh, Scott Owen's place, and we'll have longer chat, chats and conversations. But um, yeah. I see another push cart nominee in your future. I won't go oh. into I won't go into more detail on that one. But well, thank you. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, like I said, <clears throat> there were so many metaphors at um, at the thrift store. There was a poem in here called "Slipping into Darkness," and you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like you know 1970s type music, and th- that was the name of a song by the the group called War. Slipping into dark. I don't know if you remember. Oh, that. of course we did. Slipping into dark. <laughs> I lo- I love that band. And uh, but anyway, you know the clothes would continually slip off the hangers at that place. I'm telling you, and we always had to be on guard because they, you know, the boss didn't want any of those clothes on the floor. And you know, I was just thinking that, um, you know, those things that slip. You know, it's like that's like our lives. You know, slipping. You know, and they just, you know, one after the other. And then sometimes you didn't even see that it slipped, you know, and it's on the floor. And you try to pick it up and you put it back. 
you know, those are things, maybe those are failures, right? You pick those things up, try to make them right, put them on the hanger, make it right. But there's always something that's going to fall again. And you just got to, you know, pay attention and, and keep pushing through, you know, um, when you, when you can, you know, I mean, yeah, it's um, like, it's very easy as human beings for us to slip from our hangers mm, and find ourselves yeah. <laughs> at the lowest of lows. But it's, you know, usually by the help of another human being that we get picked up, rehung and get a second chance. And this is all about redemption. It's all about second chances. Uh, thrift stores are where items that people loved go to become loved by someone else. And yeah. it's the same way with human beings, how they can uh, live a life, uh, love and lose, and then find again the same kind of love and laughter. There's a, In fact, there's in this very poem, Slipping Into Darkness, you write about decanters of secondhand laughter on shelves and a dangle of price tags, nipping at fingers, shaded tips, slinky, slippery, stoic, hemmed and tangled, garments concealing folds of follies fields. Jesus. Listen to that. Crap. I don't know That's how. That's wonderful. <laughs> I, I have no idea how I wrote that, but... Um, you know, it's just funny. You have all of these different items, clothing for all seasons, right? And, um, you know, all all the seasons of life, you know. And um, I'm just uh, happy that uh, Red Hawk picked this up. You know, it's uh, it was really a labor of uh, passion and love, you know. Well, we really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to publish it because and it's an honor us. to do it. Yeah, and finding us. Thank and you. Allowing us to do it in this relationship we have. I hope it goes forever and ever. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today from your uh, uh, hidden bunker out in <laughs> <laughs> out in Hendersonville. Uh, those of you who are out there listening, uh, Tony's book is available at redhawkpublications.com. Uh, Tony, before we go, you need to say Red Pub Pod. Red Pub, Red Pub Pod. <laughs> I'd like to thank Tony Robles for joining us today. Thanks to the Grand Poobah, Richard Eller, for running the boards today and making sure that we're, we, we sound good. Thanks to Patty Thompson for her acquisitions and editing and overall friendship. And thank you, the listener, for listening to us at Red Pub Pod and supporting Red Hawk Publications. Without you, the reader, the buyer, the supporter, uh, we we can make it. So thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you in a couple weeks, I guess, maybe, or a couple days. Yeah. I don't know when, when we'll show up. Just wherever you get your podcast, just keep checking. And don't forget to like, share, follow, and subscribe. Yeah, there you go. All that good modern stuff that, <laughs> that I keep forgetting to mention. But do definitely go to our website and buy something, will you? Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody, very much, and we'll catch you on the other side. Tony, thank you. Red Pub Pod. Thank you. Red Pub Pod. Join us again for Red Pub Pod. 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 A podcast. Red Pub Pod. From Red Hawk Publications.